For May 10th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 671. All the chairs are very heavy. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. We're like your smart, funny friends from the internet. You know what? No. I reject that. We are not like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We are your smart, funny friends from the internet. From the internet is doing a lot of work in that sentence, but, uh, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to claim you, your, my, our friendship with you. We're glad to have you with us. And I'm glad to have Pete Fenzel with me. Pete, it's a storied two-hander. How are you doing? I'm good. Everybody's doing a lot of work from the internet these days, so it's it's accurate. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, I'm doing like, all right. That's that's exactly it, right? Like your 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 work is your work from the internet. I mean, if you you know, unless you you work in some sort of hands on hands on job in our increasingly service economy, right? Like uh, knowledge work is all work from the internet these days. I suppose is the the accurate way to say it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, what are you? Uh, what's up, Pete? What's on your mind? Oh, okay. So, Matt, I did have some, one thought that I wanted to raise to you, a question for you. Please, actually. ask me your question. So, I, it's an either-or question. I want you to visualize two doors and uh, placing your hand on one of the doorknobs and, and turning it and revealing that which is behind the door. I right? see. Are these, are these so, two, two doors that diverge in a yellow wood? No, no, they're or, inside. Uh, got it. Okay, interior doors. Got it. <laughs> No, they're, they, it's a performance piece. It's the Gates by Christo, right? It's like Saffron <laughs> Gates that are in an autumnal arboreal landscape in the, right next to the Plaza Hotel. <laughs> so do you think that the things that are not great in some sort of major way with overthinking it, the things about this podcast that could be so much better than they are now, mm-hmm. which, which of the two doors do you think uh, – presents the greater obstacle for us to bring this podcast into whatever it is that you might think could be better. Mm. Uh, Is it a uh, something that we are not aware of due to either willful or unwillful psychological denial Uh that we, that we might benefit right from, from some kind of person coming in from the outside, right. And and kind of yelling at us or like smacking us upside the head or telling us and showing us the truth, maybe compassionately that we can't see for ourselves or, is it a thing that we could do, but we just we just don't have the resources because we run on such a tight margin in terms of time and, and attention and money. And all we need is somebody to come in <laughs> to yell at us right. and smack us upside the head and give us $50,000 so that we can <laughs> oh, got it. Uh, hire people and fix things. Which of these doors do you want to open? Got it. So w- would I rather have – Fifty thousand dollars, or would I? Would I rather have psychological insight? Is well, is what well, you're not saying. which, which, <laughs> which would you ra- rather? The thing is, I Ra- know which rather, one you'd yes, rather have. Yes, Fenzel. Yes, <laughs> I know which one you'd rather have because I think you probably, I think both of us have exchanged no small amount of money for psychological insight over the course of our lives. <laughs> Like the proof. Uh, show me the receipts. <laughs> show me the receipts. Oh, oh, I kept the receipts, Pete. I kept the receipts. You know why? Yeah. So that I could submit them to insurance. <laughs> I batched them up and sent them to my insurance company. Exactly. Right. So therapy bills notwithstanding. I got so, it. Yes. And so, but yeah, sure. I'll ask you that right now. Like, which of these is more inspiring to you? And also, uh, as, as something that would carry us forward. And also, is there anything kind of culturally that resonates with you? Pop culturally that resonates with you about this proposition. Yeah, I mean it's well so I I think that there's 
this is this is very interesting. My my answer is uh, I the the way I want to be yelled at is I I want to be yelled at about uh, the, my psychology and the ways that that I'm dropping the ball either you know willfully semi willfully unconsciously whatever without without knowing it because you know what what I have found in the in the very modest scope of operating a business that I, I mean I don't really operate a business as a you know as a sort of sole trader in in um, technological consulting of various kinds or computer programming or stuff. I'm, it's more a practice than a business, you know, but, um, but even in that, that very modest scope, what I find is that, that resources for an initiative can be found. Um, right. But, but that the, the sort of that, that vision, clear vision is the commodity of scarcity. And that, that if, if someone can make my, uh, that someone making my vision clearer, you know, w- would be more important, would be like more helpful to me in all, uh, in all ways than, than someone like, um, offering, you know, someone offering me uh, resources that would get me over a temporary hump, but not necessarily deal with a, with a longer term, um, or, you know, profounder problem that I, I may or may not, may or may not be a, be aware of. So uh Pete, what what I want essentially is a what I want is a Marcus Lemonis uh <laughs> who who is the prophet, right? Because what what he uh what he does is uh he he invests the the money, his own money, mind you, his own money. He invests his own money in uh struggling small businesses in order to to celebrate the the great spirit of of American entrepreneurism. Um and he uh but but what you what you really find out is uh you know the the real hundred thousand dollars is the hundred thousand dollars within, and that the uh <laughs> <laughs> you know that actually the money is not the mo- the money can do certain things for you it can it can you know capitalize expansions of various kinds which is largely what it what it's used for but uh if you're not willing to sell off your old inventory if you're not willing to let go of the losers you know um if you're so so insistent that you're like uh your i don't know brand of of um snowboarding water bottles right is so irresistible that this it would be it would be terrible to just liquidate your entire warehouse full of products that nobody wants uh then um that that uh that investment is is not going to help you so it's it is really more of a gating factor to success than the than the cash itself um right the the cash itself is i don't know how, how would you answer your own question pete well, I guess I would I think that it's probably the case that I'm holding myself back uh, in a lot of psychological ways, but to protect myself, I would probably lie to myself and tell me that it's the money, right? <laughs> is uh I mean maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, right? But like there was always so there's we're talking about this whole panoply of different sorts of I might even call them saint patrons, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> that come in on these TV shows, uh, such as The Prophet, as you mentioned, uh, some of my own personal favorites. Like, uh, well, I've been watching um, Restaurant Recovery, which is about helping restaurants retool for COVID. Uh, of course, Restaurant Impossible with Robert Irvine. We've talked about Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay. Uh, there's uh, there's, um, well, back in the game with a rod, which ran for a year, which was pretty funny. But, um, 
uh, John Tapper, right? The one guy whose name I always get wrong because I call him Jake Jake Tapper, right? <laughs> I, I, let me actually look this guy's name up so I don't get it wrong this entire episode. Uh, John Taffer, which is not Jake Tapper. No, they're different, different people. <laughs> Yes, yes. Who is a guy who comes in and is like, what is this with these chairs? Right. So this is so a great moment. There's some, some great moments. Right. In some of these shows that exemplify some of these concepts we're talking about. Right. They come to mind is like, you know, John Taffer will come into a bar and like yell at everybody. They do that. They do this sort of soft open with a couple of minor fixes and then it all fails. And then he yells at everybody for being terrible. But a lot of the suggestions that he ends up coming up with are, are you know, really brutally practical um, and maybe not really what the issue is sometimes. But the one that really came to mind for me is there was one where I saw him go to a bar and uh, and he picked up the chair and he put it down and it was too light. Uh, and he basically was like, you need to have, uh, you know, perceive quality, perceive quality. Right. Yeah. You know, you need to have that that sense. Right. Of uh, of um, of the idea that people want to think that this is a quality bar, make the stool heavier and you can charge more for the drink. Right. Pete, I definitely <laughs> I that I have had that in in my own life. Like I have searched high and low until I found the right uh good double old fashioned glass to have just a, you know, little splash of whiskey, uh, as a nightcap, you know, and that right. like a, a, a glass that is too light doesn't feel satisfying. It doesn't like fulfill the kind of the, the ritualistic, um, you know, thing. I believe they call that alcoholism. No, it's the, 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 uh, it doesn't fill the, the, um, uh, some some kind of sensory need as well as a glass that is uh, a glass that is heavier, like a like a, you know, crystal glass that has a really thick, thick base um, that takes some real muscle that you do. Uh, you do three sets of 20 reps, you know, lifting it up to your lifting it up to your mouth. Um, and then if you can can stumble into bed, you you know, you do that or just collapse, collapse where you are. Yeah. Heavy, <laughs> heavy, heavy chair, heavy glass, you know, very yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. No, you want to have a big, heavy bottle of booze that's opaque, right, and has a rounded bottom and you could use to wield as a weapon. But I, I, I just I'm thinking about what does it mean to the intersection of the psychology of the person in need that they're talking to? It's like I'm already I, I'm using every ounce of my strength. I can't lift a chair that's any heavier than the one that I already have. <laughs> right? Just make the chair heavier is like the least it's like the least helpful excuse for someone who's totally the least helpful advice for anyone who's totally overwhelmed. Right. Like you should just you should just, you know, do harder. Right. <laughs> do harder. Yeah. And uh, but when I think about these poetic moments from these kinds of shows, an, another one that comes to mind is uh, Robert Irvine. Have you ever watched the Robert, uh, Restaurant Impossible? Yes, a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. And Robert Irvine. So there, is, there are all sorts of, of miniature tropes, I guess. Although I kind of am starting to get bored of the word tropes sometimes. Tropettes. Troplets. Troplets. Well, motifs, perhaps. <laughs> um, that these dudes, these are often loud dudes and physically imposing dudes. And of course, Robert Irvine is a chef who is diesel and jacked. And like married to a bodybuilder, I believe. Yes, he, yeah, uh, and, he yeah. I, he seems like uh, I guess what association I associate him with Steven Seagal somehow. Yes, you know, <laughs> just in terms of like the kind of the effect that his bulky silhouette has. Right. But he's the, in much better shape than Steven Seagal. Sure, is. <laughs> even at even at uh, I guess even at comparable ages, um, uh, is uh, oh maybe they yeah he's married oh he's married to. Uh, WW, former WWE superstar Gail Kim 
is the wife of Robert Irvine. Uh, and so like they are, he's a, he's, they do a lot of lifting, I guess. Uh, but, and he's done dinner impossible, worst cooks in America, restaurant impossible. Uh. But I remember one episode of that where he went into a restaurant that was in really bad shape. So the difference being that, you know, I watched the John Taffer stuff I mean, and I'm going to get his name wrong. I just know it. And a lot of the time it's a bar where a lot of the people who work there, you know, aren't working very hard. A lot of the time it might be because and this is just the episodes I happen to have watched, the trends that I've noticed. I'm sure if you were to watch all the episodes of all these shows, you would know, notice different trends or different things would stick out to you. But it, it's often it often a situation, it seems, where it's a family business and it shouldn't be because some of the family members don't really want to be there and want to do something else with their time. But they if they just sort of don't do anything, the other family members feel too obligated to not pay them. Right. And also the financial uh, crisis that would involve splitting up the ownership of the bar or buying somebody out is something that they don't want to do. And uh, and so that's a big problem. And John John Taffer comes around and like tells them to have heavier chairs. Right. And then eventually they they uh, and then he yells at everybody to like, you have to do this or whatever. Um, I felt like my vibe with the Robert Irvine shows is that he goes to sadder places, huh. right? Where where the restaurant is just really just wrecked, right? And and it might be because of negligence, you know. And, the, and then again, on the on the total side is Restaurant Recovery, which is a COVID based show on Discovery Plus that I've been watching recently, which is all about retooling restaurants that are on the verge of going out of business so that they can operate under COVID restrictions, not just government COVID restrictions, but the practical restrictions introduced by what customers are buying from restaurants, right? Sure. So restaurants that don't have takeout, restaurants that don't have drive-through, uh, restaurants that don't have seating arrangements for the right number of people, um, oh, the wrong menu, all that kind of stuff. But I remember one where Robert Irvine went into this real hole in the wall, and it was it was, it was was a shack, right? It was like a one-level building, small dining area, everything's kind of dilapidated, and he goes out back and there was an old grease trap uh-huh. that was that was broken. And it was basically just like a bucket in the ground. And it was just full and overflowing, like three feet all around with coagulated and 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 set and rancid and decomposing kitchen grease. Huh. Right. Because, of course, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people learn later in their lives than they should is that you can't put cooking oil down the drain or, or you know, don't pour cooking oil down oh, the you sink. Can't. Oh, you can. No. Well, you, <laughs> it's America. You can do a lot of things. Right? Like, <laughs> but you shouldn't pour cooking oil down the sink. Right? This is, yeah, I, I, I saw a friend of mine of co- a comparable age to us, um, but uh, not an overthinker, not a college friend of ours, someone I, I know who lives in London, um, do this just as blithely as you please. Uh, and, and I thought, wait, I, as I was visiting him in his home in London and, you know, it was not my place to like stop my friend or like correct what he was doing. But I thought like, this is the home of the Fatberg, like the Fatberg, the actual, you know, famous one that people, <laughs> people compare to the size of a, of a, like a London double decker bus. That's how you know that this is the home of it. Like what, what on earth are you doing? Yes. If, if you take nothing away from this podcast, uh, take away the injunction that you, you must never put, uh, you must never pour cooking grease down the sink. 
And then, but that you may yeah. not, you may not jump to where Pete has gone with this, which is like, where does all that grease go in restaurants when you like, you make a, you make a moderate amount of it at home enough that you can like, what, paper towel it out of the, you know, out of the pan and, and throw the paper towel away. But you make buckets of it in, uh, in uh, commercial kitchens, in commercial, like, uh, b- professional cooking applications. And where does it go? And the idea that, that a restaurant has a grease trap might actually be news to a lot of people. Yeah, the I think one of the normal ways of doing it is having a, a filter box of some sort, right? A, well, a grease trap is a device that can separate out the grease from liquid waste you know, and, so that it doesn't go into the water system and clog all the pipes. Because, of course, the big problem with fats is that they when they get hot, you know, they, basically that they melt at temperatures that are observable and common, right, to human experience, right? But but not at room temperature. Yeah. Right. So like a lot of fats, they'll coagulate when it gets cool. Right. And uh, and that means that if you but they'll be hot when you just cooked with them. So they'll be very liquid. And uh, and they, of course, can combine and react with things once they get in contact with them. But that you might have a big fancy machine. Right. And maybe not that fancy, but too fancy for this place. Right. Where <laughs> you can dump oh, the dear. oil down the sink because you have what's basically a catalytic converter under the sink. Right. Uh-huh. With a different different chemical and mechanical operation that separates out the grease before it pumps the water out. Right. But this place just had a big old trash bucket outside oh, like embedded in the ground. <sighs> and, and and just him standing there kind of looking at it. It, there's the there's the metaphor. I mean, is it a metaphor? Or is it a metonym? Right. <laughs> of like of just this this just this just giant pile of sin. Right. This just this utter <laughs> neglect. Right. This this sense of of sorrow and of of an attempt to overcome a a just un a just undeniable inadequacy. Uh. Right. It's like well, we're still we don't have a grease trap. We can't afford a grease trap. Not even really sure how a grease trap works. Right. I'm cooking my mother's recipes out of this shack. And she was she did. You know, my mother and father did this before me. Now I'm doing it. I'm just copying what I saw them do. I don't know how to do any of this other stuff. And even if I did, I don't have the money to do it. Uh, I, I know not to pour the grease down the sink because the one time we did it, you know, the sink stopped working. Right. right? So we had to call the plumber and then we couldn't afford, you know, to 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 buy beers for ourselves for a month. Right. And so now I just pull I just pile all of the cooking fat in the backyard. Right. And it's sort of like Stephen King kind of situation as it takes consciousness and turns into Bronson Pinchot in a TV movie or something. Uh, but yeah, just but I, I guess. What yeah, would you, at, right? would you yeah. say, Pete, that he he piled on the whale's white hump the sum of all the general rage and hate felt by his whole race from Adam down, and then, as if his chest had been a mortar, he burst his hot heart's shell upon it? Would you say that that accurately describes the moral import of the uh, of the the grease bucket out the 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 grease drum out in the the back of the restaurant like the uh, like the whale in Moby Dick? It's well, it sounds like Captain Ahab got to cook his whale, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> so, but again, that's this. I mean, so to make a pop culture comparison, because of course we have pop culture people on here. When you say that, what that makes me think of is Star Trek: First Contact, right? Where, Which where, is, yeah, it, Captain Picard misquotes that uh, that passage from Melville. Right. But, but the notion is that his hatred for the Borg, and of course, this is a 
controversial character moment for Captain Picard, who doesn't tend to act this way in the television show. But uh, he has the he gets this his arc in this movie is that he has this overwhelming hatred for the Borg, these aliens, these robot aliens that is uh, blurring his judgment and causing him to behave uh, inappropriately, right? By like going into the holodeck and getting a Tommy gun and just like blazing at it and screaming. And that in order to kind of reclaim his composure and his really uh, rightful moral sense that gives him the authority to act as a leader that other people respect is that he needs to recognize what's really motivating him. Wow. That it isn't actually like, I have to do this. It's that I, I am so upset about it that that is why I am acting this way. And so guess what I'm saying, Matt, is that if you open to both those doors, uh, they go to the same room. Right. <laughs> is that John that, that behind both doors is like a whole bunch of burly chefs, right? Who are all yelling at you that you need to get heavier chairs and clean up the grease behind your house, which is a metaphor for your psyche, right? It's it's all it's all part and parcel of like a, a same sort of maelstrom of of uh co coeval issues. Uh or is it, right? Is uh is an interesting way no, of No, I, I mean uh, I think that's I think that's right. I'm like I I, I just, I like this genre. I like this genre a lot. I mean, I, I like is, is an interesting word. I'm really intrigued by, by the genre a lot. And I, I sort of wonder, like, I, I wonder about the relationship between this and the, like, the fixer upper type shows, you know, where like you get your home remodeled, you know, and, and the idea that like, you know, the, the idea that you're always living in the bad version. You know, that, that your life is always the bad version. Um, if your life were the good version, we wouldn't need shows like this, right? Like if, if there weren't some, some, you know, basic insecurity, uh, or some sort of basic desire to kind of like ABR always be remodeling, you know, that, that there wouldn't be a, um, if if the the dissatisfaction weren't encoded at some level by you know by the bad capitalism Pete it's the bad capitalism or <laughs> you know or the <laughs> thank you I, I appreciate your guffaw there um or the uh you know or just something in our psychologies that 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 makes us um uh something in our psychologies that that Aaron Sorkin would write a uh, really rousing monologue about like it's what's next we we climbed out of the cave we sailed across the seas we you know colonized I don't know his don't get dark like that, but the the you know what I mean. There that there's some some sort of innate sense that uh, um, that uh, that we can do better, you know. And and I I wonder about the the relationship of these things. But the the ones that we sort of decided to focus on are the ones where there is there is an authority figure, and it the the ones being the television shows, the television shows, yes, yes. The, that that we that we uh, agreed that our pop culture podcast would pop culture about. Um, yes that we would be popping off about uh on this episode are, are the ones where there are there are like authority figures there there are there are experts and and the thing that struck me in thinking about them is the kind of the 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 low esteem right in which the the culture seems to to hold expertise um you know uh expertise right and that and that like the the uh not just around the the coronavirus pandemic but there's there's been a lot of this discourse politically in the in electoral politics but even beyond electoral politics and the like in the small p politics of you know um uh, of uh, how how power is is 
getting exercise. Like there, there does seem to be this, this crisis of authority or crisis of expertise or something, something else that you could put in a, in a, like a cable news Chiron and like a build a graphics package around with like some, some urgent sounding horn, um, crisis of expertise next (laughs) on MSNBC. The, um, you know that that traditional sources of of uh, trusted advice you know doctors perhaps are are the ones that that come to mind or like you know scientists um that like uh that they are uh that that, that they're kind of being being denigrated and i i just i it's so interesting to me that that robert irvine Right. He doesn't seem to suffer. It doesn't seem to have this problem. You know, the idea that like, well, says you, my, my, oh, he's not the heavy chair guy, you know, says you, my, my disgusting, you know, a hellish grease trap in, in the back of my, my restaurant is, uh, is a health hazard. And also the, the, you know, sign of the, my ultimate fail as a human, failure as a human being says you, Robert Irvine. Uh, that's not, you know, go, go. Go, uh, go pump some iron. You know, that's, that's not, that he's not, doesn't seem vulnerable to that, that sort of yeah. attack, right? Like the, the idea that the, uh, the idea that the bodybuilding elites shouldn't be telling us to, to how to run our restaurants, you know, doesn't seem to be a, a line of attack that, that people use with these shows in, in the same way that with, you know, um, academic or uh, authority or sort of expertise of, of, of various kinds. And I wonder if it's, you know, if, if the the one kind is sort of narrow, narrativized as theoretical, as kind of namby pamby, as probably like feminized, um, and then big burly uh, Robert Irvine is you know practical, is like get her done, is masculine, is I mean he's British. Oh, so. <laughs> right. He's uh, get her done. He's English. Governor. <laughs> So all those things, but a little bit different. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I don't mean to interrupt, but I hear no, what that, you're saying. Yeah, that, that, well, I mean, so the, the one of the one of the mentions that comes to mind, right, is like, okay, so many of these people on these shows are authoritative men yelling at people, right? And it's not exclusively that way, but it, it in that sense, you could see it as an attempt to. As the the relative the audience for these shows, it's not Mash, right? It's not the finale of Mash. Not everybody is watching these shows. People drawn to the shows, and it only needs to draw so many people to make it worthwhile, might be seeking out that kind of authority and kind of order in the world that they don't see in contemporary society, and they might be looking to these older paradigms of you know. Uh, these are pre Ted Lasso shows, I would say, but I guess, I mean, it it goes into the whole obsession with coaches that you're seeing in the different TV shows that are about coaching right now. Um, other than Cobra Kai, right. Ted Lasso, big shot, the return of the mighty ducks, right. There's all of these, these shows right now about these athletic coaches as figures and, and what are their, what are their emotional vulnerabilities? How do we interrogate, you know, the the dimensions of their gender self-identification that we might determine to be toxic, right, by by evaluating them as such, right? And so, but the idea might be, okay, I don't know, I guess, okay. So to slow down a second, Matt, here's here's another, here's two more doors, okay, right? Okay, got it, got here's it, Two doors. more doors. Two and doors. I don't, are, I don't have they diversion know the in Yellowwood or the, the, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's a Cristo art piece. They're right outside the Plaza Hotel. It's, oh, got it. Well, <laughs> thank God someone is beautifying Central Park South because that, you know, that place was a dump. 
So, okay. So in each of these, each of these doors represents an obstacle towards you trusting some institution, right? Some collective body of work that's being carried on, right? Some professional, so some sort of person who, some person who's not just, not just an individual, right? But an individual who, or an individual point of contact that represents some sort of larger interest that you might at some point have thought of as trustworthy, right? And, and your, your trust in them has diminished. Uh-huh. And, and these doors represent the obstacles to that trust. Which door is the one that feels like it's barring your way more? Uh. Is it the one where, well, we all kind of used to talk about the same things, right? We all used to feel like we were on the same side. There was a, a degree and complexity of it that I could wrap my head around. And all of us together, because of the way that we communicated with each other, felt like we were all kind of on the same page. Now, granted, not everybody felt that way. Never, never mind. Yeah, exactly. No, never mind the the fact that that story is a lie. It was a story that we told ourselves, and yeah. and you know, to a greater or or lesser extent, all kind of had to believe in order to participate in life. Even if it only affects seventy percent of people, that's still a lot of people, right? Right. Um, even if it only affects 40 percent of people, that's still a lot of people. Sure. Right. Um, but yeah, and even and even if people are just telling it to themselves and, and that's how they feel. Right. That still affects a lot of people. The okay, idea my my that, thumbs my thumbs on the scale for this one, but I want to hear what the other door is. But, well, I mean, I, yeah, the only thing I would say is, yeah. So and then the thing that would be the problem with that, right, is the the fracturing of the ability to have a shared conversation. Yep. Right. Yeah, and which we know is a, is a consequence of the way that uh, the media has changed, right? And the media and the message and uh, and personalization and customization and micro targeting and all that stuff. The other door is feel bad is pain point. It's pain, right? It's pain that you experience. You touch the, the doorknob and it's hot, right? And the pain is because you have interactions with this institution that you once trusted. And they are awful, right? Right. And they're awful for you, but they persist and you have no recourse against them because they are the, because making them awful for you accrues a benefit to the institution, right? So like you might used to be able to do something and it was not so bad. It was nice. It was relatively easy, right? But now you try to do the same thing and it's a huge pain. Sure. And it makes you uncomfortable. And as such, you don't want to deal with it anymore. Right. For example, for example, something, something that you might be able to use to do, you know, without sort of surrendering your dignity is uh, take a domestic flight. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Right. Yes, yes, yes. Go get on an airplane. It's a great example of something where like, yeah. Yeah. Pre, pre pandemic I'm talking about like the, the, but the, it, it definitely served the interests of the, the airlines to make that experience terrible for you. Yes. Um, because there was apparently no degree of terribleness to which they could that that they could make it that people were were not, um, you know that that people would not take the uh, that people would not still take the flights because you know a, a variety of reasons. Analysis, right, right, right. The analysis yeah. of that that industry's woes is beyond like, the scope the, of the this episode. That, the fact that you have to measure your own that it's become your responsibility to measure your suitcase that you buy in a suitcase store because you, and otherwise you're going to show up somewhere and you're not going to be able to like have your 
you know, your medicine with you when you're on a plane, right? right? Like stuff like that. But, and, and this, and then this isn't even because airplanes and airlines are kind of famous for this, but there's so many ways that are like things oh, that are like, Oh, right? sure. And then you know? all this false consciousness develops in people around like how good they are at managing the requirements of yeah. these, <laughs> you know, like, like, Oh man. Oh, Pete, I have great tricks for keeping the person in the row ahead of me from leaning their seat back. <laughs> like, I, you know, I like, I wedge my knee in so that it's impossible so that they just can't get the leverage to put the, but then when they look back to see what's wrong, I just quick move my knee back. <laughs> I just quick move my knee down and then I put it back up and they can't, they can't do it and they think their seat's broken and they're, but they're so demoralized that they don't do anything about it. They're learned, their learned helplessness is, is complete without realizing that like this is a you know horrible dehumanizing terrible situation to you know uh to be in like and and the yes uh, yes on the scope of of the sum total of human misery it's it's not in the top 100 but that doesn't make it good (laughs) like that doesn't still mean it's uh it's okay and i I, you know i feel like it forces you these these small demoralizations like work on you work on you gradually actually like 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 some of the theory around psychological trauma where people are realizing that yeah like the the really big bad things like all the really awful bad things that can happen to you yeah those are still awful but you know what the cumulative effect of a lot of small bad things happening is is pretty bad for you also like i mean if your life just a little bit sucks all the time you know if you're if you're an out group in an in-group culture or something like that like and the the like the sum total of just the the little indignities really adds up to to some tremendous harm and that's what taking a domestic flight is like international is slightly better slightly better I, i might even i might even reframe it as like that's how opera conditioning works yes Right. is like is the, the way our brains work is that when we experience, you know, pain in response to, you know, a stimulus of some sort, we associate the pain with the stimulus and, and we remember that the thing caused us pain. And if we confirm that thing over and over and over again, right, we'll develop an aversion to right. the thing. Right. And in this case, the thing might be going to the doctor. Right. It's like I don't want to go to the doctor anymore. It takes eight months to get an appointment when I get there, there's a 70% chance it's going to be rescheduled or canceled within a week of when it happens. When I go there, there's a 90% chance that I will be, it will be that they will be more than a half an hour or 45 minutes late. Uh Right. And, and like, and then when it all is said and done, you know, there's, I still have to pay them a whole ton of more money than I used to. Right. Right. And for, for what does not appear to be anything more or greater. Now, granted, this might be different for, I think for younger people, what you're seeing is they're entering into this situation and you're like, this is terrible. Right. <laughs> like, like I, this is awful and terrible. And I, and I categorically reject it. Whereas for, I think people who, you know, for whom going to the doctor didn't used to be so bad, it's, it's, it's sadder. Right. And it's this painful psychological aversion that develops over time. And it, yes, it's not the same as 
Because if you can go to the doctor now, you're not one of the people who's really truly being totally boned by this whole system. But it has a psychological effect. Right. Right. That that shapes people's behavior. And and I think part of that behavior is this lack of trust. And I mean, there's so many things. Well, that's yeah. I mean, there's there's an interesting thing because the doctor is not just the doctor. Right. Like the doctor is Dr. Ness, you know, and that yeah. like uh, and and that has yeah a lot of a lot of knock on effects. And because, you know, because our brains are not. Um, like, uh, because our brains are, are very good kind of ex post facto, uh, rationalizers of things are very good, like, like narrativizers. Um, though, though, you know, not necessarily with, with fidelity to the actual true facts. Uh, and because like once you kind of embed, uh, a narrative that, that seems to explain your experience and that like is rooted in, in some sort of pattern recognition that you've performed. It's very, very difficult to dislodge that, you know, yeah. get, getting out of that is just, and that's how we're designed, right? Like that's not, you know, that's not because you're stupid or, or bad or something like that. No, no, no. That's how you, that's how you're built. That's it's how not the, your ideology. You know, it's your bio. It's your physiology. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, 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 you know, that these, that it is, it is very regrettable, right? <laughs> when these, you know, when these things, when these sort of you know market driven uh, these like tiny market driven degradations that add up to you know uh, that add up to these sort of terrible experiences. Uh, I mean, I don't want to overuse the T word, but that that you know add up to to experiences that are not you know life sustaining really, <laughs> like that you know that that do not do not um, facilitate your your own thriving in any in any respect, right? Like it's sad when these. Uh, have the the knock on effect that um you know you you lose lose trust in a whole category you know of uh of knowledge or expertise because you know um the certain things about about the way doctors have have organized themselves uh, leads you to or or how doctrines. I don't has think been, the doctors have been the ones doing the organizing. Well, that have been, I mean, maybe in part, but it's in response. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Never mind. I won't get into it. It's not, it's not, this isn't the podcast. Yeah. Was, again, like a, a full analysis of the problems of the, of the sector is beyond, beyond the scope of, of this podcast, yeah. but <laughs> check in with our, our but, mem- but there, members on the show. There are vicious and virtuous circles at work. I think this is, this is where I, this is where I kind of get on board with the notion of these restaurant gurus and business gurus and stuff is that there are vicious and virtuous circles wherein the more, the, the, the more you have uh, in this model, if you're talking about the second door, the first door we can go back and talk about because I think it's also important. But the second door, the more pain points you have for people trying to deal with you and then the less trust that they're going to have with you. And that means if you consider the thing that you have to do with them as a collaboration, your relationship with them as a collaboration, then that collaboration is going to gradually break down. And then the more it breaks down, the harder it is to do anything. Right. It's like, well, when people trust you, it's a lot easier to make the uh, to make the luggage bin a little bit smaller if everybody's like trusts you and likes you. Yeah. Right. Like and because it's then it's like, okay, well, it's just this one thing. But once everybody starts hating you. Right. Then it's like, well, you do it, but it's going to be miserable. And there's people at the gate who are going to be angry. Right. And like um, and you, I think over time you might recognize, oh, there's like systemic distrust of everybody like me. And you don't think about the little things that cause this. Uh, and so so but the virtuous cycle would be, well, if somebody could come in, come in and actually give you a, an experience of something 
that made you that that was helpful and not painful right and and provided some relief at the very least and was kind of easy and fun to deal with right uh to get done things like you remember it right and and you uh and you might be more likely to trust them right so like you know somebody gives you a crystal and tells you that it will make you feel better and they give you a crystal and it makes you feel better and you don't have to sit on the phone or be humiliated or they don't take all your money they only take half right <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. And, I, you know, and like, oh, OK, well, you know, if I don't have to subject myself to the pain, the confusion, you know, humiliation, you know, of, of this thing that this other person is constantly, constantly always asking me for, regardless of the situation. Right. Uh, then I'm willing to go with it. Right. Because I trust them, even if they're totally incompetent. Um, so, yeah. So I guess that's that's part of what I'm thinking of is like the, the arcs of these stories always end with these huge cathartic helpful moments right i mean most of the time almost all the time right where it's like everybody comes in everybody helps this person out every you know they 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 see a situation where the things that were bothering them before are not bothering them anymore right there's the like you can see the crying right and that and that sort of there's a confrontation with what's been wrong both material and psychologically and then there's somebody who comes in and and acknowledges what's wrong and kind of helps you and supports you through it. And all of a sudden there's this outpouring of trust towards this person for doing this thing for you. Sure. Right. Um, right. Which is, which is, uh, which is, I guess one of the doors. Right. And then the other door is like, well, I hate, you know, open table <laughs> because well, I, mean, I tried to use, I used to love open table. I tried to use open table on mother's day to try to find a place to get, you know, some sort of outdoor or take out, take out reservation for lunch for mother's day. And like, it was, it was unwilling, uh, w- without significant customization to give to, to promote to me restaurants less than 20 miles from my house. Huh. Right. So it was like there were certain places in my metro area that had clearly paid them to be featured right. that that were like, you know, way far away. Right. And not not anywhere close to where I live and especially not anywhere close to the park. I was going to be taking my wife and son to for our like, well, let's go get lunch and then let's go to the park. Right. Like that's that we had a plan. Right. And I wanted it to be close to the plan. Right. Um, and it's like, hey, you should go to the seaport. The, the the seaport of a city I don't live in 25 miles away when yeah. I asked when I set a range of no more than five miles. Right. Yep. And it's like, well, this is a huge pain in my butt. Right. Why am I having this experience with you? Um, and again, this isn't just about this. This isn't just about complaining about bad customer service experiences, but it's like, um, oh, man, it's just it's it's. Well, people, people in the restaurant industry hate open table as well, Pete, because of the cut that they take. Of yeah, the, well, yeah, all know. of these services that are claiming to make things easier. But that's the thing is like it can claim to make things easier, but by producing additional pain points, it creates additional aversion. And and maybe you 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 ingrain some learned helplessness and you comply, right? You comply. But over the long haul, you have a less sense of trust and connection with, with these people. Well, maybe, and it's, maybe yeah. without even realizing it. You know? Yeah, yeah. You don't even know that that that's what I'm wondering. What I'm wondering is whether it's really the things that we hear and the things that we talk about. It's probably both. Right. No, but that's exactly when I when I like 
hear people talk about like their expertise at manipulating the like the airfare search engines or something like that you know i i i think to myself that like that used to be a white collar job and and no one can convince me that that it wasn't perhaps a little better when it yeah. was a, a white collar job right like that that you know the the person that the sort of disaggregation of that um in in the name of what like giving you flexibility or like giving it to you uh when you when you want it di- didn't involve losing something right and that like you are um you are you like learn not only to become complicit in your own degradation but you learn somehow to brag about how good you are <laughs> at you know uh at letting the flight search engine not give you the thing that you want right like not uh um, like force for, you know, force you into, to bad decisions in the name of being free. And, <laughs> and I guess that that like, you know, I, I guess, right. That <laughs> what they're, what they're, what all of these shows lack, you know, is a, um, like is a, an, an analysis of the underlying, you know, material realities right. that bring, which, which is the thing that we've been kind of pushing off to an arm's length to talk about the kind of psychological experience. Right. Sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the material realities of the situation as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That, that That's, that's good. But I guess, I don't know, like the, one of the reasons I, I like the prophet, you know, I, well, I guess there's some like world beating, uh, there are some sort of world beating like people on there who want to like franchise their, their, you know, hunting wear brand or whatever it is. But like that, that like, I, I like the, the sort of small people who are like, I, you know, I want to do this excellently within the scope of my community. Like I, I don't want a line of barbecue sauces in every supermarket in America. I, I want to run this. You know, uh, hometown barbecue restaurant that my grandparents, that my parents ran and their grandparents, but my, their, their parents before them and that like, um, you know, where I grew up, you know, refilling the vinegar bottles at the, uh, at the, yeah, at the condiment station. Like that, that, those are, those are the ones that I like because I, I think there is something, I mean, I think there is something to that, both in terms of like actually reclaiming some sense of agency like uh, you know in in your life like you know i i may not be able to solve all the world's problems but but i can you know treat my employees well or i can like you know manage this place you know with a degree of uh you know with a degree of like uh a skill with a degree of finesse um and that like uh all all of those things you know are the things that i that I tend to appreciate um about these shows rather and and a, a lot of the time that at that level a lot of the time it is psychological it's because you know I can't talk to my sister or something yeah. like that, and we're like we're notionally co owners of uh of this thing or like i can't I can't bring myself to like uh, let go of something that that I need to let go of in order for some some greater transformation to happen and and you know so i I suppose like the um you know I suppose the kind of the the sort of trust building s- transformation that you're talking about and i guess the i'm I'm thinking now of the like the you know the dramatic reveal shot of the gordon ramsay hell's kitchen uh makeover or no is hell's kitchen is is Hell's Kitchen the the competition show or is Hell's Kitchen the the restaurant 
What's the one where he I don't actually... I don't watch a lot of Gordon Ramsay. Oh, okay. So because I watch mostly Food Network and Discovery Plus now, so oh. I don't know which Gordon Ramsay show is which. I know there was the F word or something, which was a British show I watched a little bit. Um, but well, which, he has he has one he has a where, ton of shows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. He, yeah, exactly. And he he goes into a lot of. Um, he, so he goes into restaurants. Are you talking about be- Kitchen Nightmares? Yes, there it is. Okay, Kitchen there it Nightmares. Is Kitchen Nightmares, yes. not not Hell's Kitchen. That's a different. Right. That's a competition show. Oh, um, okay. So Hell's Kitchen is for the chefs. Kitchen Nightmares is for the restaurants. It's for the restaurants, yeah, and okay, and gotcha, it's gotcha. you know it, it largely the same format, but there is a there is a remodel sort of at the center of all of all of these, and it's you know it's like it's notionally done in twenty four hours. I don't know why they stick to that to that fiction when you know anyone who's done any kind of building project at all realizes that that that's sort of a laughable timeline um but like what what it is is it it is the kind of the trust building result right and it it is a metaphor for kind of shaking people out of their complacency or out of their like um ingrained patterns that they can't uh you know that they can't seem to like they can't seem to get past you know in in relationships or in you know dealing with dealing with some other person that like oh you sort of you wake up and the you know the idea is like you wake up the next day and the restaurant has been remodeled and it's all beautiful and the whole thing has these you know uh beautiful cafe tables and the um all the all the chairs are very heavy <laughs> You know, and that like uh that uh that that transformation is the kind of is is a couple things like it it represents kind of breaking the pattern and it represents um the the sort of trust building that you need to do uh, uh represent in order to you know I, I all this stuff strikes me as as being like this is all parenting advice right like you have to be like predictable you have to like be be attentive to the to the child's need and not even parenting like it's relationship advice you have to be like attentive to the other person's needs you have to be like you know, take care of them predictably like you know be good to them do nice things for them um you know attend to their needs like listen listen don't don't become codependent and enmeshed with them like you know maintain your maintain your your individuality but also like you know uh also like be present to to these things these are all like these are all very basic uh you know very basic steps in in maintaining healthy relationships and also like very basic deficits in you know a lot of uh a lot of interactions that that you have on a on a day-to-day basis with people out there out there in the world and that like the the sort of the the symbolic import of of uh, of this thing of the of the of the remodel is you know probably related to to some of the things that you've been talking about. Yeah, I think one one of the well, one of the bunch of reasons why I reject uh, kind of class consciousness historical dialectic right or historical material dialectic as as a sort of super philosophy right is like the core proposition is that the conflict that matters, and I'm grossly oversimplifying here, right? The conflict that matters and that everybody should care about is the conflict between classes of people uh, because given the opportunity and the authority, right, one class of people will exploit another class of people. That is, right, take more from them than they give back, right? And take more than their share of what that other person has and more than they need even to live, right? Uh, leave them with less than even what they need to live. And that the only solution to this is to upend this whole sort of class 
situation. And I think one of the reasons why I find that philosophy so hard to deal with is that there's so many other people in life who will do the same thing to you, right? <laughs> like, like, and you'll do it to yourself. Like you will take, so you can take so much from yourself, leaving yourself nothing left to live. If you really want, you know, if you really want to on some level, but like there are, Peter thought that, that was called hashtag embracing the grind, you know, <laughs> rise and grind, man, rise and grind. Uh, you know, you can stretch yourself real thin. You can hate yourself and drive yourself into the ground, but you, but also these things like family relationships are important to people, right? Yeah, so exactly. like, like the, the 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 person who says that that you know class struggle class consciousness is where the real exploitation happens has never had a sibling. Yeah, <laughs> but it also like because what I'm thinking about is the obvious critique of these things where it's like, well, these shows are propagandistic because they are presenting the 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 person who is the locus of. The person who is the locus of resources is also the person who's the locus of expertise, right? Um, which they would say is like not true, maybe because really the person with expertise should be the person who is on the working person rather than the TV show celebrity or whatever. Um, which I think may to a greater or lesser degree be true of the various TV personalities do this, but also that like their real problem is the fact that they have to try to function in this like warped system, right? Like you're trying to run a restaurant, like that's your problem, right? Is that you're trying to make food for people, you know, for a margin. And it's like, well, yeah, but, but this person also doesn't get along with their sister. Right. And that's a big deal for them in their life. And while we're so like, and the fact that that larger problem like may or may not to a greater or lesser degree be like, you know, the thing that might need to be addressed in order to reach a place that everybody would feel comfortable about in terms of like the moral relationships, the chance of success relative to the chance that they should have for success and all that other stuff. Like the immediacy for, you know, within this, the, the subjectivity of this person's own life, which we're sort of being transported in through the power of theater, uh, right. It's like, uh, it is uh, at least to a degree, right? We're sort of being presented with the opportunity to interpret and potentially participate in this person's subjectivity, which is a form of acting, right? So, and, and as we've talked about in the past podcasts, it's like the fact that the idea that you could just extract that portion of humanity from a sort of legitimate accounting for what's happening in the situation, uh, it just seems so counter to you know, what, what seems to matter, what seems to change things or what seems to make things better or worse for people, what at the moment, you know, the need is right. You know, uh, it's, it's, and I guess that part of this is the stories that, that illustrate these things. Right. So like there are situations where I think thinking back to different episodes of these shows that I've watched, where really the people's situation vis-a-vis the larger economy is really kind of unsalvageable and requires just a radical change, right? Like, you know, oh man, you know, I'm really trying to run this small place in Louisiana, right? Nobody (laughs) comes here anymore, right? Like, oh man, you know, I'm down by the shore, but the hurricane came through and it destroyed everything and nobody really lives here anymore and I'm still trying to run a restaurant. And like the people will come in and they'll try to like, oh, we built, rebuilt the place. We found you this bunch of customers that we brought in to have a big party. And it's like, well, yeah, all these people are going to leave though. And all the other houses are still destroyed by the hurricane and nobody rebuilt them. So like, Eh, this doesn't really ring true. What I'm saying is that there are like there are sort of certain episodes which lean in the direction of like the macro problems are the real problems. And then there's other episodes where it's like, no, really, the micro problems are the real problems. Right. And the personal problems are the real problems. And all of it has this degree of personal pain. So, like, I just I would suggest is like, don't entirely discount the shows just because you object to the proposition that 
transforming the system isn't the only thing that they do. <laughs> they don't show up and they're like, hey, you know what you should do? Burn down the police station. <laughs> 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 this is rough. Fortunately, this is fortunately, yeah, fortunately, we have all this grease here that's yeah, hi- highly flammable. <laughs> right. And it's like you're never going to be able to run your restaurant if you don't, you know, cast off the chains of oppression. And it's like, you know, yeah, but I hate my brother. <laughs> like, and it's like, don't you realize your brother isn't real? None of you exist as individuals. You only exist as a class. Right. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, it, it's it just it's absurd. Right. Um uh, but I guess that's kind of the idea of it being dramatic, like a dramatic, like the the message and the medium are related here because it's on that micro level. I mean, even any any sort of economic critique, you're going to have this gulf between the micro and the macro that's just always so hard to bridge. I mean, even in things like, you know, even in sort of basic full of philosophical questions, you know, the notion of um, you can't just, you know, calculus isn't a thing for humans. Right. Like the like. <laughs> so I guess this is a list. Here's a tangent for you, Matt. I mean, unless you have another topic, you I know you're running a little long. This is good. We're, we're, we're running a little long, but get, give us a tangent before we okay, go out. So here's, mean- here's a here's a crazy tangent for you. Right. Like so at a certain point in my high school life, I don't know if you experienced this in high school. I had to make a choice. Uh-huh. Right. Between which math curriculum I was going to pursue. OK. Right. So like you you take math classes, the way that math worked at my school and I went to public school, but a nice public school, you know, in the United States was that like starting in about middle school, they started splitting people up into uh, their sort of aptitude for taking on more kinds of advanced work faster. Right. Okay. With the idea. And of course, this goes back into something we've long talked about on the podcast, which is the sort of is the purpose of the educational system to like produce to like maximize the ability of the minds of a group of people to like create and generate things that are going to be good for everybody. Right. Or is it to like equally equip everybody for the basics of needing to like maximize their ability to function and, and do what they need to do in their lives. Right. So it's like, um, you, you have this desire, you want to make sure that the people who could advance into advanced math, which is a very short window to get into in your life, because once you're in your twenties, you know, that's it. Right. You're not going to do any advanced math once you're past that. Um, so we have to find the advanced math people young and they take the advanced math people. And they put them in separate class. Right. And uh, and and you pursue the the uh, cr- curriculum. And some people are like two years ahead. Some people were one year ahead and some people were kind of in the baseline. And then some people were like a year of kind of remediation because they needed to catch up. Sure. And you, and you get to the two rows that diverge in a yellow wood, Matt, the two doors, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Rule of three for the two but, doors. But what about calculus and statistics or what, what yes, is the, exactly. I'm oh, talking is about there calculus versus statistics. Cause the way you go from is you go from arithmetic, right? You go from arithmetic into geometry, trigonometry, right? Uh, you know, and then there's analysis, which is, which is basically like pre-calc, Right. And then you can like go deeper into calculus or you can you can veer into statistics. Right. And and the difference right between calculus and statistics, uh, I suppose, uh, is is in the more in the more sort of uh, man, I didn't even think about that. I was going to say this today or I would have really prepared it. But the difference that I perceived and I think a lot of people perceive that I talked to about this between statistics and calculus is that. Calculus uses on the high school level into the early college level, you know, calculus is using uh, complex methods to arrive at certain answers to complex questions. Right. Mm -hmm. The idea that the question is really hard. But when you when you do the calculus, 
you know the answer, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea that in statistics you're using, uh, you know, it's somewhat less complex math uh, at that level, right? Sure. But the answer, the nature of the answer that it's providing is is more complicated, yep. right? So like the answer to a calculus problem is less complicated than the answer to a statistics problem, but the operations that you have to conduct to complete a calculus problem on this level of math are more complicated than what you need to carry out to do a statistics problem. Sure. Right? The, and, the, and the, there's also, there's a kind of a symbolic reasoning thing, right? Like the, it, it I don't know, it, it, tell me if you think I'm, this is wrong, but the, the, um, the calculus problem right doesn't admit to sort of description in in the same kind of real world terms that the statistic problem admits to i guess you can talk about like rates of change and acceleration and and you know derivatives of position with respect to time and and things like this but like the the you know the idea that you know when you're on like third or fourth derivatives your your intuitions for what those things are um really you know you, you reach the the full extent of those pretty yeah. quickly and you have to you have to rely just on your ability to kind of function in a in a purely symbolic uh realm um whereas you know that's not necessarily that's not at least in in my limited i went the calculus route so like in my yeah. limited experience of statistics that's not necessarily the case i i did that i did the calculus route too right yeah. and so um, but sure, the I would idea have said it's, like, it's it's much more sort of syntonic to to both of our personalities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess and so uh, the notion being right, like you can you can think of it in terms of physics for a while, but even then, it's just physics. Right. right? Like it's like you're not really talking a lot about people, but a lot of the um, ways of describing the uh, ethical and uh, philosophical gaps between kind of micro subjectivity and macro, uh, you know, ob- not, I mean, people would claim objectivity, right? Uh, I think involves a a leap. It's a, it's a calculus leap in a statistics scenario where, mm. I mean, it's the question is just the utilitarian question of like, well, how do you know that the aggregate happiness is desirable, mm. right? Like, how do you aggregate the happiness? How, what, what is the operation that allows you to like line up all of these people Right. And and ascertain from their each of their individual utils the notion that you can sum it up and like you can do that with calculus. Right. But like this isn't a calculus situation. Mm, mm-hmm. So 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 I guess what I'm suggesting is like um, th- that the reality of the economy and the well-being of all people is not necessarily the sum of all episodes of restaurant impossible mm. right right like like and and then there's a desire i think in watching these shows to right. demand you can't just you can't just weigh all the chairs you know right, right, and right. like <laughs> what we need to do is we what if we just went to the factory right, right and we made all the chairs heavier right and like what if we optimized what if we went to the chair factory what if i manufactured the chair and i wanted to optimize a chair for perceived value that was the term right uh-huh. i wanted to optimize a chair for perceived value and then i wanted to optimize the distribution of all of the chairs for all of their perceived value to maximize the drink prices at every bar right, right. like like it's just that's that's just it feels absurd right um, I mean, I guess at some level somebody might do that, but you know, there are other reasons that people buy chairs, right? Like, and there might be other situations. And also like the notion that every bar needs to make its chairs heavier itself seems to be part and parcel of that, 
of of that second. Well, it's weird because it's it's both the first door and the second door from our first comparison because there's this mourning for the lack of having a common language, which I do think is a real thing. Yeah, that's right? I, like, I actually no, sorry, we we went down this whole what lemma, yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah, 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 we yeah, went yeah, down yeah. this whole thing. Uh, I'm still uh, I'm still on that first on that first one. That's Go back still, and open that first door. Let's take it all back. Go back still and open my, that door. No, no, we can't. We don't have time for that. Wait, uh, look, we don't have time for that tonight. But but it strikes we'll me as the montage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sawing things. I'm breaking things in the back. Bathroom and carrying plywood in and out of the place. We belong to the night. We belong to the restaurant. These, these, these great people from United Grease Traps have agreed to donate a $5,000 grease trap to your restaurant. We belong like, to the rules of the economy we're both operating under. Right, 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 right. We've right. painted this a color that st- stimulates the appetite, you know? Whatever we deny or worse of a better. Hey, I bumped off your, your evil brother and now you own the restaurant outright. We we belong, we belong, we belong together. Um, yeah, it oh, does. Well, yeah. no, it does. It actually like in the, in the sort of the, the calculate, like the, the lack of, the lack of a technology, the lack of a thought technology, um, for, well, okay. The lack of a, uh, means of communicating across, you know, certain, certain gaps. And these can be like, um, Let's use family gaps to not get into like more traditional, like, uh, more fraught political situations, right? Like the, the two, the two, or the, the group of siblings. Sure, exactly, right? Like the group of siblings who inherited the restaurant and like have different ideas and don't know what to do with it. And because of a lot of like, you know, decades long conflicts can't even like really bring themselves to talk about what the, the issues are that are, that are driving the, um, the disagreements that like, um, you know, know that the lack of a the lack of a, a means of communication is a problem um the first derivative is right the lack of a thought technology for bridging the gap in yourself you know right. to to reach out to somebody in that situation like to to kind of like identify with them enough to acknowledge their to acknowledge their experiences as like real and legitimate you know and uh and you know i don't know there's a uh i mean there's a kind of second derivative that that comes in around like um all the scaffolding you know that gets built up to buttress all the like the confirmation bias stuff that like gets built up to like buttress your worldview all those things like all those kind of ex post facto rationalizations from the prefrontal cortex that 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 we talked about and the kind of the like the the lack of introspection to kind of see the blinkeredness of your own point of view right like is the uh um is the the problem with the problem with the problem <laughs> and that like you know that uh that this is that this is a real thing though it goes on it it happens on the micro level pete like they, that you were talking about like this is not an analysis of um this is a not not an analysis of systems of political economy you know like that right, right, right. and it it like it actually it doesn't admit to solution 
at the level of analysis of of systems of of political economy right like it it is really it is really the calculus right because it's it's there there is a kind of like psychological symbolic order you know that has to be addressed in order to um you know, in order to, uh, deal with the, the problem, the problem with the problem and the problem with the problem with, with the problem. That is to say, like, lack of communication, lack of ability to kind of imagine what communication might be and lack of introspection to, you know, um, to get to the place where sort of you are not necessarily like the center of, of, uh, where, where you can kind of admit that, that there may be certain things about your, your worldview that, that are blinkered. This is, I mean, you know, this is probably a different genre of television show <laughs> or something <laughs> like this. Man, we've gone real deep on this stuff and we haven't even really talked too much about the shows about that we were watching about all this stuff. This is, it's, it's, you know, there's a burbling grease trap with, within all of us, Pete. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the reality of it. It's uh, also, um, yeah, also life was better when, when we had, uh, when we had travel agents. It wasn't better. I'm not necessarily saying it was better in a, in a holistic sense, mm. but I am saying that the consequence, part of the consequence of the change are mechanisms that reduce public trust. Mm. Right. Like it's like, like, well, I guess the, the end of the open table thing is like, yeah, you know, back before open table, I would never know about a whole bunch of the restaurants that I've gone to. I would not be able to have as much flexibility in terms of the places that I go to, but the ways in which I would have been like humiliated or frustrated are also much less. Sure, sure, sure. You can't like, don't, don't build a, uh, well, I mean, don't, I, maybe this, I shouldn't put this as an injunction, but like, you know, it, there's probably a, it's, it seems like there's a problem with the idea of building a, uh, whole industry segment on like disaggregating a class of white collar professionals and quote unquote returning control to the consumer and then lying to them <laughs> about <laughs> like, the rub. <laughs> about how about how the list of restaurants that you're showing on the screen like got on got on the screen and yeah, yeah. like if you have to you know if you look at the 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 top um three quarters of your average screen of like Google search results, their ads or their, you know, um, it, there's some kind of push mechanism operating, uh, you know, rather than the, you know, rather than the, um, the sort of pure like information that, that you're, you're, um, uh, that you you claim that they claim to be sort of delivering you or that you may you may believe that you know the 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 mechanism the piece of software the the search engine in this case is is delivering to you and and you know add to that the fact that they have gone to great pains over time to slowly erode the visual <laughs> distinction between the you know the the quote unquote organic and the bought and paid for um, impressions like in, in, uh, you know, in the kind of the list of SERPs that you get from a, um, from a Google search and things like, things like that. And like, that's, that's the problem that Pete, that, that you're, you're talking about, right? Like, you know, the, the, um, it's the, the, the great, 
the the really great writer the the psychoanalyst Adam Phillips has a uh, who has you know has maybe one of the the only psychoanalytic writers who has like great like Emersonian zingers like very epigrammatic things um uh in in all of his writings in his essays and his books um has a has a great one in a book called Equals uh which goes more or less you know if the best thing we do is take care of each other the worst thing we do is not fail to take care of each other. It's to claim to take care of each other while in fact doing something else. Yes. Yes. The lying makes it worse. Yeah, exactly. You know? Right. And and I think, I mean, not just because of a personal affront, but because, you know, lying has follow on effects to other sorts of social and, uh, and ethical functioning for sure. For mm. sure. Because because you're stripping other people of the ability to make their own decisions, too, by giving them false information and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But then that's why people want John Taffer is because it's a person. It's a human being. It's very unambiguous. His advice might be terrible. Right. <laughs> he might he might even be a jerk. He might he might uh, any number of these shows might or might not be frauds. I have no idea. Right. Like, I certainly hope not. But like any number of these shows might be frauds. But at the very least, there's a person who you can point to as being the locus of what's being said, even though that person isn't who wrote it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's all being edited, right? But there's just something, I think it's, it's this, I, the design, the, the object, the objection to there being an expert is contravened to the hunger for there being somebody or anybody who will take responsibility. Right. Like, and I think those two things, and I think that's the, that's the long answer to a short question of like, why are so many shows about experts seeming to be rolled out in a time when trust and expertise has never been less. And I think it's partially, yeah, it's because, People want somebody to be there. Same, right? same. I mean, same, same thing for like, why are there so many shows about super spies, you know, or about, or about mm. like, you know, a, a kind of uh, competence porn. Yeah. Uh, competence Blast porn. Blowing. Inv- right. Oh, wait, <laughs> involving competence porn involving international, international intrigue, which, you know, yeah. I have theories about this, but we can get into them when we talk about uh, F9. So so the biggest tornado ever twister three (laughs) F nine is coming. No, I'm I'm super excited. I'm Uh, super excited. Definitely. Me uh, me too. How many, but we got, it's that's, that's June, right? That's, uh, that's that's a lot of weeks. No, we've, we've, uh, we've passed the Friday free screenings of, uh, the fast and the furious and too fast, too furious. So we're, you know, we're, we're counting down. I don't know if Hobbs and Shaw actually like features in, the, I don't think it does. The but. Friday free screenings that they're doing as a as a come on to get people to to go back into into theaters. I'll I'll add Pete also as just a kind of final digression. It's interesting. Like we we did the episode where we talked explicitly about just just kind of like um what thumbnail surfing on HBO Max, and that's how we pick yeah. the this one is is you know thumbnail surfing on Discovery Plus, right? Yes. And for for the kind of the COVID era, it does seem to me appropriate that you could like cr- create a meta narrative of what this show has been. That it is like every episode is about a different subscription streaming service. <laughs> so next week, yes. Peloton. Oh yes, we're doing Peloton. <laughs> I'm telling you, Townsend's Plus. That's what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna all subscribe to Dropout.tv. Is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get. It's, it, we're we're coming. 
We're gonna we're gonna finally everyone's gonna talk about the unsleeping city with me. That's what we're gonna do. Uh, <laughs> eventually, we're gonna have the macro episode about all of the Dungeons and Dragons campaigns we're all watching, which, believe it or not, listeners, are different Dungeons and Dragons campaigns <laughs> that we're listening to for entertainment. We just had a huge back channel conversation about it. So, like, we're all listening to there these Dungeons so, and Dragons so, campaigns. I'm so shocked that there are so many of them. Like that, yes. you can't, you know. And we said once on the podcast that it was impossible, and we were totally wrong. Um, but you know, whatever. Like I, we can. That's another episode. That's a teaser for a future episode where we'll talk about the Dungeons and Dragons as television boom. Um, but not tonight. Because I love tonight, it. Tonight, yeah. <laughs> tonight it's time uh, to it's close up. Time. Yeah, to close up the restaurant uh, for the night. So, so dump you know, the cooking oil out in the backyard. And leave exa- it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay listening to the overthinking a podcast. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you for doing it thus far, and thanks, Pete, for uh, talking with me as always. Gang, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Our real, our real friends from the internet. Till then, visit us on the web at Overthinking. I don't know why you would do this. This is still. This was like from back when we published articles. This part of the tagline is from when we published articles. <laughs> well, you got to comment. Anyway, I guess. Sorry, yeah, no, that's that's true. That's where go there, go there and comment. Where can you comment on the web at OverthinkingIt.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably. probably- doesn't deserve. deserve. See, the problem here is that you're using a circa 2001 commenting system when really you guys should be running a Discord channel. And my buddy over here from from Discord would like to talk to you about the benefits of running a Discord channel rather than running a comment section. Thanks so much for inviting me here, John. You know, there's really a lot that you could do by using our product. And uh, I I hope please focus the camera directly on the logo while I talk about it. Is this a paid placement? Is that what what is the... (laughs) What's the status of this? <laughs> I think it's free use. I'm not sure. Tell me, the, tell me, tell me, tell me if I'm being advertised. I don't even know if I'm being advertised to anymore. All describing these doors, and this is the last digression of the day, but describing each of these doors in my mind are the cutscenes from the original Luigi, Luigi's Mansion uh, <laughs> Nintendo game, which are Resident Evil parodies where they show a door and then they show the like white gloved hand of Luigi, like tentatively shakingly reaching for it to open the door to lead you into the next room of the spooky, no, he's, scary mansion. He's he's uh, using the white gloved hand to, uh, you know, examine the door jam to see if there's any dust on it to see about the level of hygiene in this in this mansion makeover show. Luigi was the final boss all along.